This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Majority Report, Counterspin, a Best of the Left activism update, The Young Turks, The Progressive, Media Matters, The Onion Radio News, The David Pakman Show, and The Rachel Maddow Show. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode acknowledges the existence of undocumented immigrants, and don't look now, but they're standing right behind you. Net immigration from Mexico has plummeted to zero. In other words, the amount of Mexicans immigrating to America, coming to America, is less than the amount that are leaving. After four decades that brought 12 million Mexican immigrants more than half of them undocumented, to the U.S. The curtain has come down on the biggest immigration wave in modern times. So says Bloomberg News. And this is, of course, this is also, I should say, according to the uh, uh, Pew Hispanic Center. Results from declining immigration from Mexico paired with a rising number of people returning south uh, from the U.S., those trends recently converged, and between 2005 and 2010, about as many Mexicans left the U.S. as flocked here. It's a flock here. Sort of, the language is a little bit... Between 2000, I mean, because why don't you say they flocked out of here, too? Between 2005 and 2010, 1.4 million Mexicans migrated north of the border, fewer than uh, half as many in the previous five-year period. Meanwhile, the number of Mexicans and their children who returned to Mexico between 2005 and 2010 uh, uh, rose to 1.4 million. That is almost double the number who went home between 95 and 2000. What has led to this? Changes, not just in this country, in terms of the economy, but more importantly, changes to the Mexican economy. Go back and listen to what I was saying five years ago about the immigration issue. The way to deal with immigration problems in this country is to help Mexico's economy improve. It has improved slightly, just enough, Mexican families have fewer mouths to feed as the country's birth rate has declined to near replacement level or about 2.1. They have more job opportunities at home than in the past. Pia Orinis, senior economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, says while wages are still relatively low in Mexico, employment growth has been quite strong for two years running, especially formal sector employment that comes with some fringe benefits. In other words, despite what you've been told by Patrick Buchanan and all those people on the right, the Mexicans are not coming here so they can get free this, free that. They're coming so that they can actually feed their families. And when they can feed their families in Mexico, they don't come here.
If you were wondering how anti-immigrant bias can find its way into science reporting, the San Jose Mercury News provided the answer on October 26 with a story that began like this, quote, Like any new immigrant, the deadly West Nile virus became American almost immediately after landing on our shores, altering itself to fit in and then infecting a popular backyard bird to secure a firm foothold in its new home, close quote. The story is actually about new research from a local biologist, but Mercury reporter Lee's Krieger's editors would have to be oblivious not to see how the lead draws an analogy between a deadly disease and human immigrants, and further deepens that analogy by seeming to suggest the virus is employing a sort of anchor baby strategy to secure a foothold in its new home. The Mercury News story earned a well-deserved mention in the Columbia Journalism Review's When Leads Go Wrong feature on November 1st. If the editors of a California newspaper are unaware that racist and anti-immigrant groups routinely claim immigrants bring diseases and compare immigration to pestilence and epidemics, we'd like to know where they've been living. Welcome to the Best of the Left Activism Update. My name is Lauren, and I'm the Activism Czar at bestoftheleft.com. This past Netroots Nation conference featured Van Jones as keynote speaker. Van Jones, a green economy pioneer, uplifted the crowd by proposing a new and powerful game plan offered to restore hope, fix our democracy, and fight back against the ruthless Tea Party and their austerity measures that have hijacked the GOP. This election year, Jones offers us a chance to renew the American dream for everyone with his organized Rebuild the Dream platform. This can be found at rebuildthedream.com. This site asks for bottom-up, people-powered innovations to get the U.S. economy working for 100% of Americans and not just the top 1%. So where should we begin? Last week's show about the American education system indicated much work needs to be done to ensure all Americans have access to quality and affordable educational opportunities. Rebuild the Dream student loan activists Molly Catchpole and Colin Holtz have been hard at work finding new and creative ways to combat the GOP from attacking one of America's most vulnerable populations, students. Rebuild the Dream was behind many of the initiatives aimed at stopping the interest rates on subsidized Stafford loans from doubling this July 1st. This issue remains so important because the people who hold more than one trillion in student debt will be more than one-third of the electorate come 2016. Those in the millennial generation, young people between 18 to 30-ish, who have or will graduate with mountains of debt, will turn into 80 million voters. It is foolish not to think that young people's votes don't count. Senators need to know that letting rates double or cutting corners in other areas of social justice will have significant consequences. So now the argument over whether interest rates should stay low at 3.4% is not only about rate, but also how to pay for it. Here is a list of ways Senate Republicans have proposed to pay for keeping student loans at a low rate. See if you can spot a pattern. 1. Gut preventative health care programs. 
Two, limit how many years students are eligible for loans, making college far more expensive for part-time students. Three, force middle-class federal workers to pay more for their retirement. And four, scale back the number of folks using Medicaid. A generation is drowning in debt for having the audacity to get an education, and Congress is only willing to help if they can further the economic disparity for the poor and middle class. So as you can see, it is possible to win the argument, as in getting lower interest rates, but ultimately losing the battle because lower rates means the government earns less interest, prompting the Republican-led Congress to use this as reasoning to further additional cuts for average Americans. It's classic divide and conquer. The other day, President Obama spoke to a group of students at the White House and once again called for Congress to act. Democrats have proposed a bunch of perfectly reasonable ideas, including closing the giant tax loopholes for a handful of rich business owners. Republicans in Congress, on the other hand, balk at any proposal that asks big banks, the super rich, or even just regular old millionaires to pay one cent more. The GOP may be ruthless, but they are not stupid. If we show that voters know what they're up to, the chances of them striking a fair deal are greater. And if we can win them in the Senate, there's a good chance the House will follow. So here's what you can do. Please sign your name to Rebuild the Dream student loan petition. This can be found at our link at bit.ly slash fair deal for students. So far, almost 48,000 people have signed. If Rebuild the Dream reaches their goal of 50,000 names, they will send the signatures to GOP leader Mitch McConnell's office. Please sign now for your future and your children's future. This has been a Best of the Left activism update. For more information about the links in this segment, please consult the show notes at bestoftheleft.com. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Biggest news of the day, President Obama announcing that uh, there will be a new program uh, for immigration, which is that they will stop deporting young kids uh, who either have a college education or served in the military or had a high school education. Like, they're about to get a college education, they have the equivalent of a high school diploma or a GED. Uh, if they're above the age of 16, under the age of 30, they will not be deported. And by the way, unofficially they've said if you're under the age of 16, we're not going to deport you anyway, right? So, uh, lots of interesting uh, parts of this. Um, you have to be in the country for at least five years and uh, there will be no limits on how many times the permit can be renewed, but here comes one of the hitches. You have to do it every two years. So, some people are saying that this is a political move by President Obama to try to get Latinos to vote for him, to which I say, of course, of course it's a political move. But that, <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad thing. It could be a great thing and still be political. Now, the one element of that people aren't talking about is, oh, by the way, if you don't reelect me and you get a Republican, you might get deported. 
So how's that for an incentive? Now, they're not citizens anyway, and this is not a pathway to citizenship, as Janet uh, Napolitano makes clear uh, at the Department of Homeland Security. That can only be done through an act of Congress. This is the executive branch saying, we will use our prosecutorial discretion to not deport these people and they in fact give them a permit for two years if they meet all these requirements. So uh, I think it's a good move by the president. I would have liked it to come a little earlier, but it's here. I understand that it's political, but it's here and it's better than nothing. So thoughts, guys? Well, you know, I, I, what people are going to say who are against this are going to say, well, this isn't fair to the people who come here legally. Mm -hmm. And that to be fair to them, we have to kick out, I guess, these kids who were, who were brought here as children. And the other thing they'll say is, what about our unemployed? We have 27 million, million people unemployed, and they're here taking our jobs. So I think it's going to be a really easy issue to demagogue uh, on the right. On the right. And, um, but I think it's going to be a winner because uh, Rubio has his own DREAM Act that kind of mirrors this a little bit. And so I think it was Barack Obama preempting Mitt Romney choosing Rubio as his vice president. That's what I oh, think. Oh, that's interesting. So uh, let me address that in a couple of ways. Number one, of course, the Republicans are livid. Alan West, yet another example of executive branch overreach. Lindsey Graham at best unwise, possibly illegal, and everybody's screaming their heads off about, oh my God, look at the president actually using his executive power. By the way, when he kills U.S. citizens abroad without a trial, that's totally fine. That's not abusing <laughs> your executive say power. It, they don't say it. Yeah, they right. love that. In fact, they're like, oh, he brags about it too much, right? But when you do it to actually help that kids and save their lives in some ways, well, I can't believe he used executive power. Now, uh, of course, you have to remember that President Obama is nowhere near as liberal as Ronald Reagan was on this issue. Ronald Reagan blanket amnesty to three million uh, illegal immigrants saying you get full citizenship, okay? So how do you like them apples? And Obama should give a speech, which he did. In that speech, though, he should have said, hey, you know what? I know this is nowhere near as liberal as Reagan, but hey, it's a good first step because the Republicans won't let me pass the DREAM Act through Congress. Now, when it goes to the issue of the economy, Jimmy, uh, did you know that according to the Congressional Budget Office, nonpartisan, okay, they said if they had passed the DREAM Act back in 2010, which is the fuller version of this, of course, it would increase federal revenues by $1.7 billion over 10 years. It would reduce the deficit by $2.2 billion. And that in fact, DREAM eligible students over the course of their life could have added 1.4 to 3.6 trillion dollars to the economy. If we kick them out, we don't have that productivity in the country. Remember, these are kids that either served in the military or are going to get a college education. Right. So the most productive of all of them. And by the way, one other thing, if they become part of the legal workforce, they actually put pressure on wages to go up. If they're part of the illegal workforce, they put pressure on wages to go down, which is not what we want. And, and you know, speaking to, to what Jimmy was saying about how this is going to be demagogued, it's more of the veiled racism from the Republicans in one of your points that you made, which is that we already have a jobs problem here. The assumption that these people, are, these young Americans between 16 and 30, and as Jank said, it's going to be from zero to 30, really, but 16 to 30, uh, are only workers and that they're not bright young Americans who are going to be entrepreneurs and start businesses and create jobs themselves is, is I think, blatantly racist because you're looking at these people as just part of a workforce rather than part of creating jobs and starting business because they don't, you know, I, I think it, it goes back to that, to that race. 
And I, I want to talk about that, but, but the other side of it is the politics. You know, there's going to be, people are going to say it's, it's bald politics. Well, the president is a politician. And sometimes we forget that. I mean, he, he is running for re-election. Everything he does is political. Quick guessing game here, guys. Because, you know, you mentioned the race issue, and people, ah, oh, Latinos, there's this, like, stereotype, et cetera. So uh, science and engineering graduate students uh, from Latino backgrounds, what percentage of the science and engineering students are from Latino backgrounds, okay? Because, you know, you get that all the time, oh, my God, you know, they're, this is depressing wages because it's only. Yeah. Now remember, these a lot of these kids are going to college. That's the whole point. Right, that's the whole idea. Right. We're, we're, we're mining our resources here. Right now, what percentage of the science and engineering kids are Latino? You want to, all right, I'll guess. I'll say seventeen percent. Seventeen. So funny. I was going to say eighteen percent. Really? Those are pretty high. Yeah, thirty-one and a half percent. Okay, and I have to confess, I was surprised by how large that number is. So is that okay? like almost, is that tripled their population? I mean, the, that about, I mean, they're about 14, 15 percent yeah, of the doubled? country at this okay. point, a little, you know, a little more than doubled. That's right. Okay. Yeah, so. Uh, you so, wouldn't have been, I mean, with that math. No, no. No wonder you're not in the 31.5 yeah, exactly. percent. I Irish, <laughs> a little lower, a little lower. Anyway, so it, it adds to the economy in so many different ways and, uh, and defies the racial stereotypes. President Obama took a huge step in the right direction last week on the immigration issue. As I'm sure you know, he announced that his administration would no longer be deporting young adults who came to this country without proper documentation when they were under 16 and who've been here at least five years and who graduated from high school, earned a GED, or served in the military. By so doing, he not only reversed his administration's deportation-only policy, up to this point he'd been deporting more immigrants than any other president before him, but he also struck at one of the most immoral aspects of our nation's flawed immigration policy, blaming children for the sins of their parents. Almost all the young people who came to this country had no real choice in the matter. They were coming with or being sent by their parents. The United States is the country they've lived in most of their lives. For many, it's the only country they've ever been conscious of. To then deport them back to their original country, where they may not know anybody and they may not even speak the language well, is to impose a huge, unwarranted penalty on them for something they had no control over in the first place. This isn't the only injustice in our immigration policy. Busting up families is another. And I look forward to the day when President Obama stops doing that, too. I'm Matt Rothschild. And that's how I see it. You say, break up the family And let's begin to live our lives I want to see all my friends tonight 
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal, it will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. A couple of things on uh, President o- Obama's executive order, which basically prioritized what the Department of Homeland Security was going to do and who they were going to pursue in terms of undocumented immigrants in this country. The president essentially instituted not a full-on DREAM Act, uh, because, of course, this is not uh, legislatively, but uh, basically set the parameters in which, and this happens all the time, in which uh, the executive branch will will prioritize certain uh, prosecutions or uh, certain uh, administrative functions. Essentially allowing any children under the age of 16 or or any children who were brought to this country under the age of 16 by parents who were undocumented or presumably who overstayed their visas, which about half of all undocumented um, uh, immigrants are, people who came through the country through a, a legal process and then overstayed their visas. And, of course, it set a high bar for all of these, uh, these children. They must have graduated high school or gotten a, an equivalent, uh, served in the military, uh, have no, um, uh, no uh, problems with the law. They can't be over the age, I think it is, of 30. Um, people who have essentially come to this country by no choice of their own and been model citizens. This is a big problem for Mitt Romney. Why? Well, this is Mitt Romney back at the end of 2011. You remember way back then when he was a candidate in the Republican primaries. Here he is. Uh, the question is, if I were elected and Congress were to pass the DREAM Act, would I veto it? And the answer is yes. Um, okay, so there we have Mitt Romney saying unequivocally and very forcefully, if the Congress passed the DREAM Act, I would veto it. He goes on to say, well, I would make a special exception for people who serve in the military. Wow, that's wonderful. And then... Now, this is a long time after that, almost seven months after that. Not quite seven, but almost seven months. A lot of things can happen in seven months. That's seven-twelfths of a year-long gym membership. And here is Mitt Romney on Face the Nation addressing... 
Obama's immigration policy. Thanks, Bob. Uh, we really appreciate it. I, I think we ought to just get right to the news. All right. And I would say he's not in the Face the Nation set. He's like, hey, Bob, I have an idea. Why don't we go to a random farm so I can seem like I'm a real heartland guy? Particularly after that whole incident with the Iowa restaurant where, I, uh, where myself and my uh, underlings crapped all over the place and uh, didn't really sort of uphold that salt of the earth type of thing let's do this on a farm shall we bob sure sure uh the president said friday the government will no longer seek to deport eight hundred thousand of these the young uh illegal immigrants who were brought into this country by their parents i think you said this is just a short-term solution to a long-term problem uh, but would you repeal this order if you became president well, let's step back and, and look at the issue. I mean, first of all, we have to secure the border. We need to have an employment verification system to make sure that those that are working here in this country are here legally. And then with regards to these kids who were brought in by their parents through no fault of their own, there needs to be a long-term solution so they know what their status is. This is something Congress has been working on, and uh, I thought we were about to see some proposals brought forward by Senator Marco Rubio and by Democrat senators. Uh, but the president jumped in and said, I'm going to take this action. He called it a stopgap measure. I don't know why he feels stopgap measures are the right way to go. Well, what I mean, would you would, do about it? Well, as you know, he was was president for the... You know, uh, Bob Schieffer looks like he's worried that he's just not going to make it through this interview. If, uh, if uh, Romney's going to continue to filibuster like this, I think Bob Schieffer's like worried, like, I wonder if I'm ever going to hear the end of this question. So I've got to interrupt here. And then Romney continues last three and a half years did nothing on immigration. Two years he had a Democrat's House and Senate, did nothing of a permanent or, or long-term basis. But what I would do is I'd make sure that by coming into office, I would work with Congress to put in place a long-term solution for the, for the children of those that, that have come here illegally. I, you... And I've said, for instance, that, that those who serve in the military, I would give a permanent residence tour. But would you repeal this? Well, it would be overtaken by events, if you will, by virtue of my putting in place a long-term solution with, with legislation which creates law that relates to these individuals such that they know what their, their setting is going to be, but not, wait, just, not, just, not just for the term of a president, but on a permanent basis. Uh, whoa, 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 wait, 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 what? Who's giving this guy lessons? Sarah Palin? That, that, that last bit was just fantastic. Wait a second. Let's put him make sure that by coming into office i would work with congress to put in place a long-term solution for the for the children okay, of those so that, that have come like, here wait, illegally and, the and i've said for instance that that those who serve in the military i would give a yeah, permanent residence okay, tour. So. but would you repeal this well it would be overtaken by events if you will by I'm virtue of my putting in place a long-term solution long -term with solution. with legislation, legislation which creates law that relates to these law. individuals such that they know what their their set, setting is going to be for the term of a president but on a permanent basis term of the president. yeah what <laughs> so uh mitt romney again proving that he's just a horrible candidate i mean just Unbelievable. <laughs> I couldn't. That was one of the favorite most You know, that long-term solution with legislation, which creates law, as you know, 
Um, and it's, it's one of those instances where, you know, let me put a bunch of nice sounding words together and make myself sound smart. You know, events will overtake uh, any type of capacity to uh, have a legislation which creates law. As you know, Bob, I don't need to tell you that. Uh, forthwith, as such, in pertaining to these people who are, uh, you know, people at that time, which we will see subsequent to the time in which it uh, follows. So that's my answer. I don't know how I can be any more clear than that. <laughs> I don't. We're going to subsequently uh, talk about the referendum on the uh, nature of the law and the specificity of the uh, problems. Uh, the the uh, I don't know if you see the silo behind me, Bob, but uh, there's a farm. So here I am. I'm sorry. What was the question? This is a Media Matters Minute. I'm Danny Herrera. Conservative media figures continue to claim that President Obama's announced policy on younger undocumented immigrants is somehow outside the authority of his Department of Homeland Security. And I don't think he has, that authority still does not exist for him to say that we will selectively apply the laws of the United States, not case individual case by case by case, but by class. We will exempt a class of people from, uh, from the law statutes. There's no authority, I think, to, to, to do that. The Democrats always hide behind children when they are attacking the Constitution, when they're attacking the rule of law. They're like hostage takers in a way. In fact, the Homeland Security press release describing the policy change states, quote, Under this directive, individuals who demonstrate that they meet certain criteria will be eligible for an exercise of discretion on a case-by-case -case basis. It's the Onion Radio News. Caucasians will soon be a minority in their own goddamn country. This is Doyle Redland reporting. According to break room sources at the Hormel plant in Pikeville, Tennessee, if Puerto Ricans and Mexicans and the Orientals and blacks don't stop having all those babies, whites will be a minority in their own goddamn country as early as 2010. Plant foreman Ron Nelson. Well, the way they're multiplying, it's only a couple years before there's more of them than us real Americans. They're already making the kids learn Spanish up at the high school. The U.S. Census Bureau estimates that over 80% of the U.S. population is currently white, though not nearly that many are employed in the manufacture of pork-related ham products. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News. On
The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. Turns out that Mitt Romney is not the only person who in the Republican Party that is having trouble dealing with the president's executive order, which allows for children of undocumented immigrants to uh, stay in this country, or at least in a process where they are allowed to stay in this country uh, over the course of a couple of years and then maybe uh, longer, if they meet the threshold of basically being a better kid than most of the kids who are, uh, uh, you know, hanging out in the United States. I shouldn't say that. There is, you know, look, you've got kids, they need to have uh, uh, graduated high school, they need to have gotten either a, a, GOD, a GED or graduated, or they're serving in the military, they have to have uh, no run-ins with the law, they basically have to be upstanding citizens. So, Blake Farenhold, Republican of Texas, goes on CNN's uh, Soledad O'Brien show on Monday, trying to somehow figure out some way of saying he's against this without actually having to own the fact that he's against this. And it's a very thing, a very difficult thing for this uh, man to do. This is this is not uh, amnesty for people because, you know, look, they're not here permanently. They have to go through a process. And I don't know if they've broken any law. First off, when we say undocumented immigrants, we say so because there is no criminal penalties for this. It is not a crime to overstay your visa. It is not a crime to cross the border. It's not criminal law, it's civil law. So it basically amounts to a parking ticket. Now the government is allowed, obviously, to deport you and to hold you before it deports you. But I don't know if these kids would be would if you can consider they broke the law but that's the point so here is Blake Farren Farren hold trying to explain why he holds 16 year olds responsible listen to this it's pretty stunning there's a broad immigration problem that needs to be dealt with in public debate we need to be talking about uh, things like this uh, dream act but we need to also be talking about e-verify we also need to be talking about broad uh, border security so talk about it i mean what do you mean we need to be talking about this are you going to do it or you're not going to do it 
The DREAM Act is more or less in place now. All you got to do is ratify it. Now you can talk about the other things. You get all of those together, you've got enough, uh, you've got enough momentum. You might be able to come up with a comprehensive immigration reform. But if you pick them off one at a time uh, and, and do it not through Congress but through executive order, you're just bypassing the way our founding fathers intended it to work. But hasn't it been in Congress for a long, 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 long time, right? 2001, originally introduced into Congress? Well, there's a reason for that. It was introduced in 2001, incidentally, I think by a Republican. I believe it was Orrin Hatch. 2007 and 2010, twice, actually, right? All right, and, and it hasn't been able to pass. And the Congress elected by the people, the people's representatives, have said no to this, and the president is saying yes to it. Well, he's saying the yes will of the to, people. no, he's saying yes to one provision of it, which focuses on those very young people that just a moment ago Richard Land called young people that are a national resource. Well, you're also talking about people that came over at uh, 16 years of age. I mean, at, at that point, you had a say in it, and that looks kind of more like uh, amnesty. But you're looking at, you know, 12 and under people. It, it certainly looks... Uh, I, I can understand that. We do a lot of casework out of my Brownsville, Texas office. So he's got a problem with the 16-year-olds. Under 12, he seems not to have a problem with. I don't know what happens between the age of 12 and 16 in Texas. Apparently, you just disappear. You go into some type of uh, sort of, uh, you know, like, like you're in like one of those uh, sensory deprivation tanks. They keep you in there until you get to be 16. But I want to hear more about how these 16-year-olds, they're totally in control of this thing. For folks with exactly this uh, problem, so and it is an issue that needs to be Do you think a 16-year-old whose parents are coming across the border has a say in whether or not they're just going to stay behind in their country? And let their parents well, they they're certainly in a position to have a conversation with their parents about it. A 16-year-old is in a position to have a conversation with their parents about coming across the border, you think? Believe me, my 16-year-old uh, daughter has given me some input on everything that, uh, pretty much everything the family wants to do. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, this guy loves to talk about stuff. We ought to be talking about all of this. We should be talking about it, but not doing anything. So, let me, let me get this straight. This uh, Representative Fonten Farenthold, who incidentally is the 39th richest guy in Congress, is that right? That's pretty good. You've got to be up there. There's a lot of millionaires in Congress. Uh, he's worth, I guess, $8.57 million. <laughs> and he knows how much pressure a 16-year-old can exert. Now... Let's just try and juxtapose the conversation of the 16-year-old whose parents are saying, we don't have enough money to feed our family. Um, we don't have any jobs because, let's say, NAFTA, for instance, knocked us off the farms where we used to work. We've tried to come into the city, but the 25 cents a day or whatever it is that these American corporations want to pay us is not going to sustain us. We've got to go north. We're going to risk our lives to do this, uh, but we have no choice. Well, Mom and Dad, I'm 16. Can I just borrow the keys to the car and hang out here in Mexico while my whole family leaves me? I can handle it. Well, no, you should probably come with us. Well, I'm going to make an independent decision that I will come because I'm 16. Whereas, let's just imagine what Representative Blake Farenthold's daughter argues with him. 
I'm 16 now and I want a Corvette. Or I'm 16 now and I am ready to go, let's go to Aspen this year for uh, holidays. Or the notion that this guy is comparing what, and I would be curious if, if the Fahrenholds decided, hey, we're going to go to the Cayman Islands to, let's say, not pay any more taxes in this country. Um, do you think they would say to their daughter, you stay here. Don't worry, you'll be fine. Or do you think they'd take her along? And what do you think they would say if she said, no, I'm going to stay here, even though you're taking all the money and we have no home? I hope that was her next question, but I doubt it was. These Republicans, they simply don't have an answer for this. And it's very, very funny to watch them try and demonize, well, the 16-year-olds. If he was 15, we wouldn't have an issue. Just a leaning on my shovel in this graveyard of dreams. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm with Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm. You in a candle's light where I've been spending all of my time will last me. And speaking of Fox News, actually, this is a good segue into our SB 1070 discussion, which is that uh, the Supreme Court has struck down a number of provisions on uh, from SB 1070, the Arizona law, which uh, basically a crackdown on immigrants, allowing for uh, police to ask for documentation of anybody who looks like they may be an illegal immigrant. What that means, we don't know. Certainly skin color is a factor. And the Fox News headline was that the court had upheld one part of SB 1070, and then as a subtitle below, we had uh, certain other provisions struck down. But tell us about the reality. I mean, what is the key provision that was upheld, and what was struck down by the Supreme Court? Well, the part that was upheld is only you know, tenuously upheld, preliminarily upheld. It's not right. even, they don't even say flat out that it's constitutional. The part sure. where you could uh, check someone for their for their papers, uh, uh, you know, without a warrant. Sure, uh, and. But they're saying we need to see that part put into effect and see how you execute it and implement it before we can determine if you're executing it in a constitutional or unconstitutional way. So it's a uh, it's and, and would it be the it, you need to be checked against unreasonable searches and seizures? That's Correct. the barometer, exactly. I would so guess. There, there is, you don't get to trump the Fourth Amendment because you passed this law. So if you execute this in a way that's within the Fourth Amendment, then we don't have a problem here. Let's sure. see. Let's see how you handle it. Right. Uh, that's not a that's not a grand round of applause for that that provision, and the rest of it um, is completely in line with what the Obama administration's argument was, which is immigration is a federal responsibility, and the states don't get to go rogue and undercut 
federal law and federal policy. So is it jurisdictional or is it that the state can't uh, supersede the federal law? Or is, is it, in other words, is it that Jan Brewer just doesn't have the jurisdiction to even make this type of law? Or is it that the law would go above and beyond what the federal law states? My, my understanding, I read the opinion very, very quickly, yeah. my understanding is, you know, there is a federal regime, there is a federal law, uh, you know, whether you're going above it or below it, uh, you can't get in the middle of it. You can't get in the federal government's way. Uh, and you can't add a penalty... In the case of uh, uh, what, what the federal law said, it's not a criminal violation to be an undocumented immigrant and look for work. Uh, it's not an omission in the federal law. They made a decision to say that's not a criminal penalty. So you can't, as a state, all of a sudden decide, yes, it is a criminal penalty. Uh, when, when the federal government's made a call, you can't trump their call. That's what the court was saying. Do you think that the Fox News, the initial Fox News line I saw when this happened this morning on television of one part upheld is going to be the right-wing talking point on this, or is that already evaporating? I mean, I saw the Fox News uh, headline, you know, a couple hours after right. what you saw. Yeah. They'd already walked it back. They said, law it down, but not out. And I suspect there's actually a, a burbling of resentment amongst conservatives. Hmm about Fox News' editorial judgment, how much do they cover for the Republican Party and not act as cheerleaders of the, the fringiest conservatism possible? Sure. They were, a lot of conservatives were mad that they, they thought they were flocking for Mitt Romney and not, <laughs> and not giving Santorum and Gingrich enough airtime. Hey, and it led, it led to Newt Gingrich <laughs> sitting with the CNN people at the White House <laughs> Correspondents' Dinner. He really showed them, didn't he? I mean, and understand here, the conservative movement is so scarred from when Bush Sr., nominated David Souter to the Supreme Court. You know, they're rallying cries with no more suitors. They stopped George Bush Jr. <laughs> from nominating Harriet Myers. Right. Well, let's be honest. She was completely incompetent. Well, incompetent, yes, but that's not what they cared about. No, of course. No, but it happened to coincide with logic and reason. I know it was by chance only. but I have a different idea about that. I, okay, I, mean, I think that you know, all Supreme Court justices, even Clarence Thomas, who we all love to hate for a bunch of different reasons, is very intelligent. I mean, they're all very smart, very knowledgeable. And facts do have a liberal bias. So when you get smart people over the course of time, they're even if they're you know right wing extremists, they're gonna at some point they're gonna make a logical decision. which is gonna have a liberal bias. Well, you know, in conservative circles, their theory about people like Souter is once you get nominated and you're insulated from politics, that the legal establishment has a liberal bias and you get sucked into their board. <laughs> And you, whatever conservative bearings you had before get washed away. It's like a, the tractor beam in Star Wars. Once right, you're exactly. in the, in the cir circle of influence, you're so just going to get pulled in. They feel the way about Souter. They felt the way about Kennedy. Kennedy's rulings on, on gay rights and his respect for international law. They've, 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 they're livid about that. Right. And now for John Roberts, this is his first break, really, with, with the far right in his, in his short tenure to, to be on the, on the pro-immigrant side of this ruling. It's going to feed their their suspicion uh, that they got snowed again by another Bush. Now maybe they won't feel that way if he rules against health care uh, on Thursday. We'll see. But I suspect that's the general tenor of the conservative conversation right now. And Fox News initially was not in step with that, so they're probably very angry at Fox News that they think they're part of the problem, not part of the conservative solution.
1994, the year I graduated from college, uh, in the great state of California, where I'm from and where I went to college, uh, the streets of California, for a while, looked like this, all over the state. Massive, massive protests. The state, frankly, torn apart that year by something called Prop 187. It was more or less the Arizona Papers, Please law of the 1990s. Prop 187 was a ballot initiative that essentially said that people who were in California illegally, there as illegal immigrants, could not use even basic social services. They could not go to the hospital, for example. You could die on the streets instead. If you were a kid, you'd be ripped out of school. Prop 187 was supported by California's then Republican governor, Pete Wilson. And California voters passed it at the ballot box. And that brought forth a long and loud and very, very, very emotional political battle. But it also brought forth some truly excellent political satire. Um, a guy calling himself Daniel D. Portado, like deport, get it, deportado? Um, he founded a fake political group called HALTO. HALT, Hispanics Against Liberal Takeover, and then just naturally put an O on the end of it. So it's not HALT, it's HALT-O. Uh, the Daniel Deportado character also founded a group called Hispanics for Wilson, as in California's Republican governor, Pete Wilson, supporter of the search grade schools for illegal children and toss them out onto the streets law. The chairman of this group, Hispanics for Wilson, was described as, quote, formerly Governor Wilson's top Latino official his landscaper and personal groomer. The group said they would support Republican Governor Pete Wilson in his anti-immigrant efforts by pledging to, quote, retrain white-collar workers and middle management in the agricultural, restaurant, and hotel maintenance arts once illegal immigrants are displaced from these highly sought-after fields. They said they would create self-deportation centers, which will encourage all Hispanic residents, of citizen, regardless of citizenship status, especially their elderly relatives, to return to their countries of origin. The whole membership of Hispanics for Wilson promises to voluntarily leave the country when Governor Wilson wins the fall election. Self-deportation centers. Again, this was uh, part of a fake press release from a, a, a satirical group, and it was dispatched to news organizations during the Prop 187 fight in California back in the 1990s. This was a Hispanic group. They all pledged to never speak a word of Spanish again, except for adios amigo, when they were self-deporting. They also did radio ads pushing the self-deportation joke. Immigrants, are you tired of being pushed around in America? Well, don't sit on your sarape. Do something about it. Join the conservative political action group, HALTO, Hispanics Against Liberal Takeover. I am the chairman of HALTO, Daniel Deportado. What is self-deportation, you ask? Think of it as a permanent vacation. Just imagine, in one easy step, you could avoid all this crazy anti-immigrant harassment in America. How? Self-deportation. Self-deportation is a trademark of Hispanics against liberal takeover. Subject agrees to voluntarily repatriate to native land or Mexico, whichever is nearest. All self-deportations are final. No exchanges or refunds. Tickets are one-way only. Tickets are one-way only. Subject agrees to voluntarily repatriate to native land or Mexico, whichever is nearest. It's political satire at its very best, right? And, and, and like all of the very best political satire, it's close enough to something that seems like a perversion of the truth that some people actually didn't get the joke. Like, for example, California's Republican Governor Pete Wilson. 
who was a specific target of that satire. He did not get the joke. In an interview with the New York Times columnist William Sapphire in 1994, Mr. Wilson explained without irony that the goal of Prop 187 was in fact Self-deportation. You will self-deport. He used exactly the phrase that was being used as satire about him without understanding its satirical origins. But the Prop 187 episode was an important moment in Republican politics. Not, not just because it was literally a moment of self-parody. It was also important because of what it said about where the Republican Party was headed. Now, there have always been nativist and anti-immigrant movements in the, in the United States. But Prop 187 was the start of the modern Republican Party trying on super anti-immigrant politics for otherwise mainstream and ambitious Republican politicians. So when George W. Bush tried to be a Republican moderate on immigration, the reason he got no legislation passed on the subject, he couldn't get it through his own party, is because he ran up against that other post-Prop 187 Pete Wilson wing of his own party. Pete Wilson himself was essentially lost to history and forgotten after his role in the Prop 187 conflagration in California. And for all the fallout that it caused, for all that he did to rip the state apart and drive this divide down the state's population on the issue of, of immigration, for the generation's worth of damage that Pete Wilson did to the Republican Party's relationship with Hispanics, ultimately Prop 187 never went into effect anyway. It was ruled unconstitutional. And then Pete Wilson retired or something, became largely forgotten. Until, until Mitt Romney dug him up. Uh, for his presidential campaign this year, Mitt Romney went trolling through the dustbin of Republican history, and lo and behold, he found Pete Wilson there. Mr. Romney went and found Pete Wilson from whatever he's doing now and brought him on board as his special honorary California campaign chairman. Mitt Romney also brought on board a man named Chris Kobach, who is essentially this year's Pete Wilson in Republican politics. Chris Kobach is the guy who, even though he is from Kansas, he's the Secretary of State in Kansas, even though he's not from Arizona, he is responsible for writing Arizona's Papers, Please law and anti-immigrant laws in a number of other states. The Papers, Please law in Arizona, of course, has torn apart that state as well since it was first proposed and then signed into law. The Papers, Please law is the law for which we are now awaiting a Supreme Court ruling on its constitutionality. As that ruling approaches, it's interesting, Spanish language media in Arizona uh, have really pulled out all the stops. They have been running long form, no commercial break broadcasts in Spanish in Arizona, trying to prepare people for that Supreme Court ruling and what it is going to mean uh, for Latinos in that state because that law has been so divisive and so emotional there. That hugely controversial, hugely divisive legislation in Arizona, uh, constitutional or not, um, is seen by presidential candidate Mitt Romney, he says, as a model for the nation. Should there be aggressive, seek them out, find them and arrest them as Sheriff Arpaio advocates? You know, I, I think you see a model here in Arizona. We should have known from his snuggling up to Chris Kobach and dragging Pete Wilson out of the past that he was going to do this. But Mitt Romney, I think, still sort of surprised some people when he positioned himself in the Republican primary this year as the most anti-immigrant of all the primary contenders. He was like, he was like this year's Tom Tancredo. Question is, if I were elected and Congress were to pass the DREAM Act, would I veto it? And the answer is yes. Should there be aggressive, seek them out, find them and arrest them as... Sheriff Arpaio advocates? You know, I, I think you see a model here in Arizona. We hired a lawn, a, a lawn company to, 
to mow our lawn. And they had illegal immigrants that were working there. And when that was pointed out to us, we let them go. We went to the company and we said, look, you can't have any illegals working on our property. That's, I'm running for office for Pete's sake. I can't have illegals. You say you don't want to go and round up people and deport them, but you also say that they would have to go back to their home countries and then apply for citizenship. So if you don't deport them, how do you send them home? Well, the answer is self-deportation. Self-deportation. Invented by brilliant Latino satirists in California, making fun of anti-immigrant Republicans, now being embraced, apparently completely without irony, by anti-immigrant Republicans. Pete Wilson was that guy in the 1990s. Mitt Romney is that guy right now. And as we await the Supreme Court ruling on the Papers, Please law, uh, which Romney says should be a model for the nation, Mr. Romney today spoke before a Latino political group about what it is like to be running for president as the son of Mexican immigrants. Throughout my campaign, I've often had the chance to speak about my, my dad and how proud I am of, of him. He was uh, born, as Gotti said, to parents, American parents living in Mexico. When he was five, they left everything behind and started over in the United States. His dad, my grandfather, was a builder and he went bust more than once. My grandfather didn't make much money. There were times in my dad's life when he lived in poverty. But my grandfather had big hopes for my dad and tried to help him as best he could. My dad didn't finish college, but he believed in a country where the circumstances of one's birth were not a barrier to achievement. And by the circumstances of one's birth, what Mitt Romney means, at least when he's speaking to a Latino audience, is that his people come from Mexico. Substantively, though, um, in Mr. Romney's speech today, he still would not say whether or not he agrees with the new policy that President Obama just initiated, which allows people brought here as kids to get work permits to be able to stay here and work here legally. Republicans have been sort of tied up in knots in terms of trying to figure out how to respond since the president announced that policy change on Friday. Republicans seem to have settled, at least for now, on criticizing the president, not for the policy itself, but for having done it himself as president instead of asking Congress to do it. It's disappointing that President Obama, even though he had a Democratic Congress for the first two years of administration, promised the country and particularly the Hispanic community that he would enact comprehensive immigration reform. He didn't do it when he had the chance and now at the 11th hour he comes up with this executive order. Was there any attempt to work with the Congress? No, there was not. Uh, and the point is, is that we've got to do a comprehensive immigration reform plan. That's exactly wrong. That's exactly opposite to what really happened. I mean, the Republicans are trying to say here, or at least trying to avoid saying whether they agree with the president's policy. They're just saying he should have done it through Congress, and he never even tried to do it through Congress. That's exactly wrong. When Democrats controlled both houses of Congress, they actually passed the DREAM Act. That's Nancy Pelosi when the Democrats controlled the House passing the DREAM Act with the big smile on her face because she's happy because it was a Democratic idea and President Obama supported it and those are the Democrats cheering. They passed it in the House, then it went to the Senate and Democrats were in fact in control of the Senate and they passed, sort of passed the DREAM Act there too in the sense that they got 55 votes for it. 
which ought to be five more votes than you'd need to pass something in a majority rules body. The reason it didn't actually pass through the Senate and become law is because Republicans filibustered it even though Democrats had a majority. Republicans blocked Democrats from passing the DREAM Act with the majority that they had even though Democrats had lined up 55 votes. So Republicans are now saying it is an outrage that President Obama never tried to take this through Congress. They make it sound like they wanted something like this to go through Congress. They've just been waiting for the opportunity. Republicans did not want that. Democrats went for it, and Republicans stopped it from going through Congress. And so now, President Obama has found a way to get it done anyway. President Obama himself will tomorrow be addressing that same Latino political group that Mitt Romney addressed today. He has the disadvantage, of course, of not himself being the son of a Mexican immigrant. But he does have the distinct advantage of having a specific, observable policy on this issue and of not having an alliance with the most virulently anti-immigrant elements of modern Republican politics hanging around his neck like an albatross. My name is Will. I'm from a band called Muckraker. We're the official heavy metal band of the Majority Report. Anyway, I was calling to make a comment on what you were saying on the last show I heard about hate crimes and hate crime legislation. And I completely agree with your final analysis, the thing that you heard. Um, what hate crimes do when they when people target minorities and um, gays, they're not targeting those individuals per se. What they're doing is they're targeting the entire group. It's meant to terrorize the entire group. And I don't like to use the word terrorism very often uh, because of what's become of the word. But uh, that's essentially what hate crimes are. They're meant to terrorize an entire community of people. So I agree with your the argument that you heard, and, and you said you heard it once, and I think I know where you heard it because I hear it all the time from um, Tom Hartman makes that argument all the time about hate crimes legislation, the fact that these people are trying to terrorize groups of people. So I think that might be where you heard it because I've heard Tom Hartman say it quite often. Anyway, great show. Will from Muckraker, out. Hi, Jay. This is uh, Patrick, a longtime listener from Oakland, California. Uh, I listened to Dan, the liberal cop's voicemail about the Trayvon Martin case, and I don't think he quite understands why it was national news. Uh, I think he's missing what's really compelling about the story. Now, Dan says that the case got attention because it was white on black crime, and that means that there's an agenda to be pushed, but that's not really the core of the story. What made it national news was that it was clear who killed Trayvon Martin. You know, it was George Zimmerman, and the cops knew it, but there seemed to be no consequences. And it just confirmed all the worst fears people had regarding relaxed gun control. Uh, we don't know what really happened in the confrontation between Zimmerman and Martin, but we do know that Zimmerman created the situation. He accosted a kid against the 911 dispatcher's express commands, 
And typically, if you're responsible for creating a situation that becomes life-threatening, you have to retreat. But here, uh, the stand-your-ground law was being used to shield the aggressive party, and that's what made it compelling. You know, the, the white-on-black aspect of it is really just sort of, I think, a wrinkle on top of the main issue. And it's, it's an aspect that's mostly relevant in that it reflects the long history of whites acting with complete impunity towards uh, African-Americans for the civil rights movement. Um, you know, Dan brought up gang violence, but that's not what this is about, because in gang killings, it's not clear to the authorities who killed who most of the time. Uh, in this case, we know who killed who. And so, you know, to me, the, the Trayvon Martin story was you know, mostly concluded when Zimmerman was formally charged, because that way the justice system was able to was able to take its course, whereas before, apparently it couldn't do anything because the cops had just decided, well, this was, you know, justifiable on Zimmerman's part. So I just wanted to chime in on that. Keep up the good work on the show. Bye. Hi, Jay. This is Kyle from Michigan. I was just listening to the June 18th episode where you had someone call in and uh, talk about hate crimes. Use the term thought crime uh, in reference to it, which is actually kind of an old talking point that I thought was kind of dead, but I I thought I would take that one on. The hate crime... It's actually based upon what someone does, not what someone says or thinks. The example would be, as opposed to a regular murder where you just stab someone and kill them, a crime is where you, say, lynch a black person and leave a burning cross in their yard, or drag a gay person behind your truck and then hang their body up on display with the intention of terrorizing or intimidating gay people or black people. It's, it's basically a form of terrorism. But the term hate crime came before 9-11, before the term terrorism came into vote. But that's basically what it is. It's a form of terrorism. And it's a it's the same exact logic behind the idea that we have separate laws for terrorism as opposed to regular murder. They actually classify that as a different type of crime. And it's not based on what they thought. It's based on what they did. So it's the same thing with hate crime. Um, there's no such thing as a thought crime until someone actually invents telepathy. So probably the closest thing, though, with the criminalization of the expression of thought, such as after 9-11 and the Patriot Act, it's now illegal to express an idea that gives what they consider support to what they classify as a terrorist. So let's say, for instance, you were to say very publicly that, hey, you know, maybe Al-Qaeda had a point because we did have military bases in Saudi Arabia. Or not Al-Qaeda, but uh, Bin Laden, anyway. That was his stated purpose. But just stating that fact now could be considered, well, you're giving material support to the terrorists. Therefore, that's now a crime. Expressing the thought is now a crime. Anyway, that's my two cents. Enjoy the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I don't remember exactly when this was. I feel like I mentioned on some recent show the the idea of people disagreeing politically and having this idea that the, the people on the other side of the debate were just crazy. Like, how could they possibly believe what they believe? Yeah, they, they simply must be insane people who I'm uh, dealing with and they can't possibly be reached uh, because of it. And And my point that I was trying to make is that it's actually very rare that you're debating with a genuinely crazy person and the conclusions that they have reached are almost certainly based in some form of logic 
And, you know, it's possible that they are simply mistaken on one thing or another that leads them down a false path of logic. But it, but it's not necessarily that they understand exactly what you understand and have come to a, a different conclusion. So to illustrate this point, I, I want to tell this old story of mine. This is from uh, several years ago. And actually, so I, I made a note, and I just want to let you guys know that this made me laugh a lot. Because I, I, I made a note to tell this story, and my note reads, tell story of explaining evolution to pizza delivery driver who misunderstood the fundamentals, <laughs> which I realized after I wrote it uh, really sounds like I ordered pizza, had it delivered, and then got into a discussion with the delivery driver about evolution and found that he misunderstood the fundamentals of evolution at which point of course i explained to him in detail but no this is actually such an old story that i was you know probably 20 years old something like that and i was a pizza delivery driver myself and this story is about a coworker of mine at the time so so there was this guy and i actually don't even remember his name now and he was you know he's like in his 50s delivering pizzas, one of the nicest guys in the world, and very religious. Uh, and, and so my friends and I, who all worked at the same pizza place together, um, we, we loved talking with him because he was really nice, but he was really religious, and he was happy to sort of chat with us about it. And, uh, and so we got into a conversation about evolution, and of course he doesn't believe in evolution. And so when we pressed him on it, we found that the reason he doesn't believe in evolution is because it makes no logical sense. He understands the basics about how the world works, and he knows that, you know, given the classic example of the giraffe, uh, that he understands that animals cannot possibly decide to grow their necks longer in order to reach leaves on higher branches. It just, it cannot happen. Animals cannot choose to evolve nor can uh, humans or, or anything else and so the idea that scientists are putting forward that you know giraffes uh, couldn't reach the leaves so they evolved to uh, have longer necks in order to reach them is crazy it doesn't make sense and that was sort of you know like a, a light bulb moment for us because we you know being like just out of high school and having a perfectly reasonable understanding of how evolution actually works we're able to explain very easily Oh, well, no wonder you don't believe in it. That does sound crazy, and we're happy to tell you that that's not at all how anybody thinks it works. And so we were able to explain that, no, it's not that anyone, uh, you know, evolution doesn't uh, happen based on anyone's decisions. It happens completely by accident, and so the beneficial accidents of an animal uh, ending up with a longer neck is what helped it survive and so on. So there you go. That's that's my story. I wanted to tell it not only because it's you know fun and and a classic of, of my own personal life, but but you know but to share for you know people on either side of any discussion, you know, but especially because I've I've started getting messages from conservatives letting me know that oh it turns out we have conservatives listening and uh, you know and and arguments were being made that you know this or that liberal idea is crazy. And then they went on to fundamentally misunderstand it. So I just want to put that out there as a blanket statement to sort of encourage everyone to second guess your own assumptions about the insanity of your uh, intellectual opponent's points of views.
because if you can figure out the reasoning they use to get to their conclusions, you may very well come on the massive crux of the issue that can be uh, explained away in no time. So that's it for today. Thanks to everyone who supports the show by becoming a member or one-time donor to the show. That is how the show survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and especially sharing the uh, links to individual clips that you particularly like from the show through your social media. That can all be done through the show notes. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. Bitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you wanna meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you out